You're listening to Church on the Path Inspiration Podcast. Brought to you by Holy Fire. And broadcasting from the heart of Brisbane City, Australia. Speaking today is Pastor Glenn Gerhauser. And today, the message is entitled Vision, Vision. And this is number six in your provider. And I'll pray and then we'll break open the word. Father, we need your vision. And we want our eyes to see you. Open up our eyes. Ignite our hearts through your word. Let your uh, truth come alive to us. Give me grace to share according to your will and with your passion and just build a strong foundation in our life this morning. Amen. Amen. Can I hear an amen? amen. And let's put our hands on our hearts. Anna, do you mind closing that door, please? Put our hands on our hearts and pray this nice and loud with me, especially those at home. <laughs> Dear Jesus, Speak to my heart and change my life in your precious name. Amen. Amen. I already could feel my heart beating faster, just ready to get into the word, excited about the word of God. So this morning is entitled Vision. And this is number six in your provider. So our text this morning is Matthew 6, to 23. You can turn there or you can read it from here. This is Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount. And during this season, we have been focusing on the Sermon on the Mount. We have been focusing on the book of Matthew. It's been uh, something that has been on my heart for us. And here's what Jesus said in Matthew 6, and 23. And thinking about context, you know, context, we got our exegesis paper due soon. This is right in the area of anxiety and just before it and worry <laughs> and storing your treasures in heaven and seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness comes, seek his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you, comes after this, uh, a few verses after. So here's the, here's the main text for this morning. The eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? So this is Jesus' own words. And now I'm going to give you an expanded translation so that we can understand what Jesus is meaning by if your eye is clear. 
We're not so much focusing on the eye being bad, but the eye being good and how the eye can be good. But of course, both parts are very important. So here's an expanded version of that. The eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, this is the Greek word, word this is the Greek word haplous, haplous. And haplous means being motivated by singleness of purpose. So the idea here is singleness of purpose, simplicity. I'll read some more. So being motivated by singleness of purpose so as to be open and above board. Single, without guile, sincere, straightforward, without a hidden agenda. So this is how the Lord wants our eye to be or eyes to be. So the eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is single, focused, pure, without guile, sincere, without hidden agenda, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, if it's not single, focused, and pure, and sincere, and straightforward, and it has a hidden agenda, then your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? So this is Jesus speaking. Can I hear an amen? amen. So we're going to talk about this. Our theme this morning is keep your eyes clean, fixed with singleness of vision. And that will make more sense as we go on. Keep your eyes clean, fixed with singleness of vision. One of the things I do before uh, teaching, I do this in Bible school, I, get, I have this whole packet of these cleaning wipes. You see these? They're a little moist. And, and uh, I'll clean the lens here for uh, the Zoom people, and I'll clean my glasses too, make sure they're all clear. And, and we, we need to do the same thing spiritually. So let me introduce this some more. What should a Christian's vision be? What should our vision be? What should a Christian's vision be? And what is our vision as a church? So today, we're talking about vision. And that would be good if I know where my actual notes are. Oh, here they are. <laughs> <laughs> so today we're talking about vision. Yay! <laughs> but a lot of it's on the a lot of it's on the screen screen here. So we're going to focus on two things, and that is what is our, what 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 should our vision be as a disciple of Jesus, and what is the vision God has given us as a church and ministry. And the time we're in as a church, especially off after all the rapid changes last year and then the flood and everything that's been happening, this is a time of new beginning for us. So it's like we're starting again. And so it's good to be reminded of our, our vision and what the Lord has called us to. And throughout this message, we'll be working through the structure of the eye. And it's going to take me two weeks so I started this, and I had five points, 
And I was like, oh, I thought I was all going to share it this morning. And the Lord said, slow down. <laughs> so we'll, it, if we don't cover everything today, we won't cover everything today. If you realize that we haven't covered everything today, it's because there's going to be another part um, next week. So we're talking about vision. Well, here's the eye. And this is what we're going to, as the message goes, it's going to, we're going to be looking at the eye. And of course, you have right in the middle the pupil, which receives the light. Then you have this colorful part, you know, is the iris. And then you have the sclera, the sclera, which is the white part around the eye. And then, there it is, uh, another picture is you have the pupil, this you know, points it out, you have the pupil, the iris, and the sclera, which is the white part. And today we're going to be looking specifically at the pupil and the iris as an illustration in this message. So, point one is this, our vision is Jesus. Can I hear an amen? There's been times where people have asked, what's the vision of the church? And if we can simple, simplify it in one word, it's Jesus. Our vision is Jesus. And this should be the vision of every disciple of Jesus. It should be the vision of every Christian. And this brings us to Matthew 14, 22 through 32. There's a valuable lesson here in the story of Jesus walking on water. There's a valuable lesson in the story of Jesus walking on water. And I've been touching on it over the last few weeks. And here I really want to look at it some more. And that's Matthew 14, 22 through 32. Let me read this to you from the NIV. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. So Jesus has a purpose. He wants us to go somewhere, and he's taking us to the other side. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. So here he's walking on the water, but it's not calm water. It is stormy water. It's huge waves and big gushes of wind. So he's walking on the storm. I think that's something we often miss in this story is that we think Jesus is walking over some calm, placid lake of water when really he's walking on the storm. He's walking over the storm. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, so it was, it was dark. It was uh, very uh, you know, mysterious. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. 
And what did Peter respond? How did Peter respond? Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. So immediately when Jesus came into the boat, it was all for a lesson. Because immediately when he came to, into the boat, everything died down. The storm was all over. Now again, there's an important lesson in this. Peter walks on water as long as his vision is Jesus. As long as his vision is Jesus, he walks on water. He walks over the storm. He doesn't sink. But as soon as he gets his eyes on the winds and the effects of the winds on the waves, he begins to sink. So this brings us again. Our first point is what's our vision? Our vision is Jesus. And Jesus must be the center of our vision always. Peter begins to sink when he sees the wind and its effects on the waves. So when he sees the troubles and the storm and the impossibility of it all, when he gets his eyes off of Jesus and onto the impossibility of all of it, he sinks. Again, this is just like the story of Israel. When they're looking at the strongholds of the promised land, as they spy out the land, as they're looking at the giants, as they're looking at the impossibility of it all, they say, we can't take the promised land, the ten spies. It was Joshua and Caleb that said, no, we can do it. They put their trust in the Lord. And that was a trust that was coming from their heart. Again, it's the same story in a different way. And it all has to do with our vision and our faith, because faith is vision. Now, this is the same thing that happens in our lives. When we get our eyes off of Jesus, when he is not our supreme vision, we begin to sink. Are you with me? Have you been there? Now, the good thing is even in that sinking, the Lord doesn't let him sink. When he cries out, save me, the Lord saves him. So that's God's grace and mercy. But let's learn the first thing. Let's keep our eyes on him. And we can walk miraculously with Jesus. This is something like I shared last week with the, sh with the increased stress and cost of living it's easy for us to get our eyes off Jesus. And I, like I said last week, you know, we've watched the news and sometimes it's like, oh, I don't really want to watch the news anymore because every, every night it's the story, rates are increasing, uh, electricity is increasing, uh, petrol is increasing, inflation is increasing. I heard it's $11 for a head of lettuce. $11 for a head of lettuce. Now... I don't like lettuce that much, so I'm going to make a salad with chips instead for the crunch. <laughs> I'm not paying $11 for a head of lettuce. Anyway, the price, prices are increasing. 
And if we get our eyes on that, we will sink. When we get distracted, we begin to sink into the world's troubles. But Jesus has called us to walk on water. Jesus has called us to live miraculously. He is our provider, and our vision needs to be him. We stop living miraculously like Jesus when we get our eyes off of Jesus. And so, yes, all of us are tempted to get our eyes on the, the winds and the waves, to look to the, each side. But then remember, oh, this is not good. Get it back on Jesus. And that's our vision as a church. This is why we come and gather and pray, come every Sunday. It's to realign our vision to Jesus, to see him, to see his beauty, to see his glory, to see his majesty. And Anna did an amazing job leading us in worship giving us a vision of Jesus if you have eyes to see. Now, when we're talking about this vision of Jesus, we're talking about the eyes of our heart. We're not talking about physically seeing him. Now, if you physically see him, that's wonderful. But we're talking about the eyes of our heart. Blessed are those who do not see and yet believe. So we're talking about the eyes of our heart. <laughs> Found this. Where are you going, Doc? Back to 1998, Marty, to fill up the tank. <laughs> I thought that was quite funny. Did you post that, Donna? Or was... I don't know. Oh, okay. I think so. Oh, no. Okay. Donna posts some funny memes. So our church's vision is Jesus. And this go, as we go back to Matthew 6:22, this is what Jesus is meaning. He says the eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is clear, which it's this Greek word of being single and it's not all this complexity. It's singleness of purpose. It's being sincere without guile, straightforward without hidden agenda. It's all about him. So in this church, we don't have a hidden agenda. And there is nothing that's motivating us except a vision of Jesus and looking at him and following him. Oh, here's an eye that Anna drew. <laughs> and here in this, in this part of the message, we're focusing on the pupil. Now we're going, as we look at our vision, we are looking at the eye as concentric circles from the inside out. And the first of those circles is the pupil. And though it is dark, it receives all the light. And it needs to be dark to receive the light, interestingly. Well, here is Jesus in the center. And this, is the, this should be the vision of every believer, every disciple, is Jesus in the center. No ulterior motives. It's all about him. It's all about knowing him, glorifying him, following him, him in the center. He is the pupil in this illustration. 
Jesus is the apple of our eye. Our purpose is to be his disciple, to be his pupil. Our goal is to learn from him by keeping our eyes on him. This is what our goal is. Now, in our hearts, there's lots of plans. All of us have lots of plans and, and vision, and we have uh, thoughts about the future. But we need to lay these aside, submit them to the Lord, even lay them aside so that Jesus is our vision. Otherwise, when our vision doesn't come to pass, we get disappointed, thinking that Jesus has failed us. When he hasn't failed us, he needs to be our vision, pleasing him. And this means we are on an adventure. As a church, we have been on an adventure. We don't have any, everything figured out. But we do have one thing figured out, which the Holy Spirit has revealed to us in the Scripture, and that Jesus is the center. We're his pupil. We're his disciple. We're following him. He's the apple of our eye. He is the answer. Amen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Our goal is to learn from him by keeping our eyes on him. Our church's vision is to conform to his vision. Rather than have our vision as an idol, it's to have his vision, him before us, his vision, and to conform to his vision. That is what we are about and... That's what Anna and I have been fighting for all these years. <laughs> Not fighting against one and fighting, fighting for the kingdom. Yeah, that didn't sound right. <laughs> We're not talking about fighting with one, one another. Let's get that clear. <laughs> We're talking about fighting and prayer for God's ultimate purpose and vision together, but not against one another. <laughs> one of the major mistakes we can make is that our vision is about things happening rather than focusing on Jesus. And I made this mistake when I first came to Australia. Because I came out of the revival in Pensacola, we had millions of people come to that revival. And the faith, our faith levels were through the roof. And over 100,000 people got saved in a few years. And we were in that environment of God always moving and miraculous things. So what I thought is I'd come to Australia <laughs> and that in a year, you know, we may win 1,000 people to the Lord. Then maybe the next year, my vision is, oh, we're going to have a, a church of 100,000, maybe even a million. <coughs> and I had vision, right? My vision was to see lots of people saved, but God had another story. And the Aussies would sit me down and say, Glenn, you know, uh, do you know what you're getting into here in Australia? <laughs> 
Well, now I know. I've been here long enough. But what has kept me and sustained me is I had to lay down my own vision and timing and all this and just the vision of Jesus, pleasing him, following him. And one of the major mistakes we can make is our vision is all about this happening, that happening, numbers, size, fame, whatever it may be. But that's not a vision that's focusing on Jesus. That's our our own vision. Making our vision about things rather than him leads to disappointment. So when we make our vision about things, especially things that, as in the business world, you can quantify. Uh, We'll often get disappointed because it's not about him. It's about something else. Amen. So this brings us to the second point. There's two points in this message because I slowed it down. <laughs> Our vision is to be a people like Jesus. So the first thing is our vision is Jesus. And the second thing is our vision is to be a people like Jesus. I'll say it again so that like it gets in into our hearts. Our vision, our vision is to be a people like Jesus. This may sound simple, but believe me, it's not that simple. Again, our vision needs to be simple, but it's deep too. I guess that's what I mean to say is that, yes, the vision is simple because our eye needs to be clear, simple, good, healthy. And our vision is to be a people like Jesus. Matthew 4.19 This is something that the Lord has been putting on my heart for like four years. Sometimes it's every day this verse is coming to my heart. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. This is what he said to the disciples. This is what caused them to leave their nets and everything that they knew and were familiar with and follow him. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, what I've done and what I've heard preachers do over the years is often they jump to fishers of men first. But what the Lord is saying is start where I start, (laughs) and that is follow me. And as we follow him, he makes us. We will talk about the fishers of men more next message, but right now I just want to underline and highlight, follow me. And and what it means to follow him. And it's following him in real time by keeping our eyes on him. We follow Jesus by fixing our eyes on him. Like Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, we follow Jesus by fixing our eyes on him. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. And some of you may know the Greek, that literally the Greek in fixing our eyes on Jesus is turning them away from other distractions and turning them on to him. 
Amen. Amen. <laughs> I'm glad you're here too. <laughs> the people of our church are the iris in our illustration of the eye. The people of our church are the iris. Now, let me show you this. Here is Jesus. He's the center of our vision. And then the iris, which is the colorful part, is our people, our church, all of us. Little Valerie, little Joseph, we don't forget them. All the little kids, Barbara, Claudia, Chris. And the goal is that as a people, we are like Jesus. Now, often what happens, though, is in churches' visions and ministries, in different uh, visions of different ministries, it's that we put the people first in the center and Jesus on the outside to try to please the people. But that is the wrong way. And so we're getting the order right. That's our desire is Jesus is in the center and then the people following Jesus. That is our goal. Often we say we are following Jesus, but there's something else we are following. Jesus said, follow me. And we say, yeah, yeah, I'm following Jesus. Like Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, they say, Lord, Lord, but they don't do what I say. And we say, yeah, I follow Jesus. I'm a Christian. But let's examine our hearts. Are we following Jesus? And how steadfastly and passionately are we following Jesus? And are, has something else come to get in our way? If we're not careful, we can follow our own vision, like I mentioned before. Or we can be following our feelings so that our feelings are the ones, our feelings are guiding us rather than Jesus. And the, your feelings guiding you is not good because your feelings are like the, the stormy waves. They're going to bash you and beat you. And, and I had the feelings too. And uh, if I was following my feelings, I would not be following Jesus. Well, we can follow the opinions out there or our own opinions. We can follow the crowd, which is generally what people do. People follow crowds. It's like something inside of us that we, if everybody does it, we do it. And I remember in the Bible school, uh, when we were bigger in the Bible school and we'd have our time. I, I like it at now that we have our times of worship and prayer and not everybody's running out escaping, but we're actually seeking the Lord together. But there was some times where one person would leave and then another person, this is our times of worship at the end, then, oh, that person left? Yeah, I'm tired too. I got a big day tomorrow. Another person would leave. Another person would leave. Another person would leave. And then all of a sudden, 15 people leave. And it's only a few of us worshiping at the end. And it was, it was a, a sinking. That hasn't happened in a while. It was like a sinking feeling. And it was just that one person follows another. And it's something apart, a, a part of human nature. That's a good part. But Jesus says, follow me. And following me means not following the crowd. You with me? 
It's not sheep following. We're not sheep following sheep. We're sheep following the shepherd, and he's the shepherd. It's not following our friends. It's not following the crowd. It's not following popular thought. There's a lot of popular thought, and we want to be liked, so we might want to fit in with the popular thought. But following Jesus is not following popular thought. It's not following money. That's why Jesus says right after our main text that the, you cannot serve two masters. It's not following power. It's not following Instagram follows. You know, this is a big thing for the younger generation, right, Lana? <laughs> <laughs> Right? And, and pastors can get into this too. How many likes did I, did I get? I do the morning thoughts no matter what. You know, sometimes it was only like three likes, but Lord, I'm just going to I'm just going to still do it. <laughs> and, um, but it's not for the follows, it's not for the likes. And sometimes instead of following Jesus, somebody is pursuing some relationship that is not God given or the relationship becomes an idol, and all of these things can take the place of following Jesus. So somebody can say, yeah, I'm following Jesus, but if you're following these things, you're not really following Jesus. So it's, and God has grace. He says, okay, come on, get back on track, get your eyes on me. I'm teaching you. I'm teaching you how to walk. It takes sacrifice. It takes sacrifice and love to follow Jesus. That means you're sacrificing these things. Your own feelings, opinions, the crowd, being popular. You're sacrificing those things before purpose, and that is love. It takes sacrifice and love to follow Jesus. That's why Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him take up his cross. That doesn't mean that Jesus is consigning you to a life of misery. <laughs> but it means you're putting to death the fleshly desires and the way of the world to follow him. And, he follow and guess what? Following him, he leads you to green pastures. He leads you to rest. So it's good to follow Jesus according to Psalm 23. Because his goodness and love pursues us all the days of our life as he is our shepherd. Know this. There are a lot of distractions in life. Many things will be competing for your eyes and attention. Lots of things out there. They're competing for your eyes. They're competing for your attention. They're catering to the desires, uh, our base desires. And there's a lot of these winds and waves being tossed. There's terrible times in the last days. And our eyes can get on the terrible times. They can get on the winds and the waves. Or we can fix them on Jesus. And as we fix them on Jesus, we end up becoming a people like Jesus. Because we're following him, our eyes are on him, and we're following him, we become like him. Because you become like the ones you follow. And you become, if Jesus is the one you're following, you become like him. Your nature, your character, your heart, your desires, they become like him. And they change the more you're on that journey with him. Oh, here's something that I found yesterday. It took me a couple seconds to get it. 
a doctor and engineer loved the same girl. The doctor used to give her a rose daily. The engineer used to give the girl an apple. The girl got confused and asked, there's a meaning of giving a rose. Why are you giving an apple? Because an apple a day keeps the doctor away. <laughs> and so the engineer is fighting for her affection. Hallelujah. An apple a day keeps the doctor away. I think this was written by somebody that uh, doesn't know English properly, so I tried to fix it up. <laughs> doctor used to give her a rose daily. You know, so I try to fix, fix it. Blessing to Joseph. Growing pains, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's the... Our, our vision is to be a people like Jesus without all the baggage of man-made traditions and religions. Let me say that again. Our vision is to be a people like Jesus without all the baggage of man-made traditions and religion. And those are things that can get in the way of following Jesus. Man-made traditions and religion. With regard to traditions, there's two things. One is there's traditions that don't go against the Word of God. Like you could have a tradition of eating a family meal on Friday night or Sunday. And that could be a good tradition. Uh, that could be a good tradition. That is a good tradition. But when Jesus is coming against the Pharisees and their traditions, he is talking about the traditions that go against the Word of God, that cause us to break God's Word and put our traditions before the Lord, or even our families before the Lord. And there's all sorts of uh, uh, religion and denominations that. They want to put their denominational doctrine above the scripture. And our des desire is to follow the Jesus of scripture and the Jesus who has risen from the dead without all the baggage that people put on. Sincerely. So without guile. Sometimes it seems like people just use the scripture to try to hook people into their own religious circles. But we never want to do that. that. In other words, we are getting back to the Jesus of scripture. We are getting back to the Jesus of scripture. Who he was. And who he is today. And who he will ever be. We're getting back to the Jesus of scripture. You know, over the years, different denominational people said, well, join our denomination. And uh, we're part of the Fellowship of Christian Assemblies, which is a great organization based in the States. Um, and that is the group I was sent out with. But different people will try to kind of get you into their thing and when you read into it more it's usually Jesus plus all this other baggage and so oh it would be easier to be a part of that because maybe you'd get a little bit more support but I have 
paid the price, and this is what we're doing as a church too, we're paying the price so that it's Jesus without the baggage, but we want to be in unity with all the body of Christ and love and appreciate every sincere believer. So it's not about being independent or being a separatist. But getting back to the Jesus of Scripture. Now, do you know what iris means in Greek? I'll just stop there. Do you know what iris means in Greek? Here's something interesting. Well, here is a close-up of an eye. This is a real picture because you can see the red. <laughs> red marks in the white part of the eye. But look at, look at the eye. Look at, look at the iris part. That's the colorful part. It looks like you're looking into space. Doesn't it? It looks like a galaxy. How God has created the eye and how ingenious it is. And the iris will, if there's uh, too much light, it will constrict the pupil. If, there's, if it's dark and not enough light, it will open up to let in more light so that you can see. That's the iris. Well, in Greek, iris means rainbow. You can double check it. <laughs> Look up Revelation 4.3. That's where... Uh, the, our name comes from, because this is the color, our, our uh, word comes from, the colorful part of the eye. And everyone, if you looked into a, uh, a close-up, like a microscope of the eye, every eye and iris is unique, though we kind of sum it up in brown eyes and blue eyes and green eyes. Actually, it's a lot more uh, detail than that, much like the snowflake is detail. Look at this, Revelation 4.3, Revelation chapter 4.3. <laughs> and he who was sitting was like a jasper stone. This is talking about the Lord on his throne. And he, was, and he who was sitting was like a jasper stone. So this precious stone and a sardius in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne, like an emerald in appearance. So here we have the Lord. He's, he's in the center of the throne. And around him is this beautiful rainbow. Very much the emerald color is coming out and shining out and radiating out of the throne. Now... Just like Jesus is in the center and God is in the center, we are like the rainbow around him. But he needs to be in the center. Now, how is God's people like a rainbow? Well, we'll talk about that. Well, here's Anna improving her eye, and she did the green color which was really good with the verse. She didn't, this wasn't planned. The emerald. Oh my God. Like the emerald. And so Jesus in the center, and then we, his people, the iris. The church radiates when it surrounds the throne. 
and values its diversity in Christ. So in the rainbow, and we're taking back the rainbow from the world here, <laughs> because it's originally God's symbol and sign of his covenant. But the rainbow is all those beautiful colors, usually seven colors. Uh, it's described as, but it's, of course, it, it's all, it's, it's it probably millions of colors. It's all the colors, all the colors. If you really study it, if, if you really went into it, it's all the colors in there. But all the colors are different. It's diverse. But it's diversity that's in unity. And so as God's people, we are meant to be, we are meant to value our diversity in Christ. And so you have some of the Christians who shine out that, the yellow brightness. They're happy and praising the Lord like the yellow. <laughs> Some are a bit purple, like that. They walk around royally. Others are like Anna's dad, passionate. They're the red. <laughs> and some people, when they get around the red color, they're a little bit scared because of the passion. They like the green grass and laying in the green grass with the, the shepherd. Well, we're all a bit different, but what I'm saying is we need one another. We need each of it, and what we tend to do as the body of Christ is we tend to gravitate to the ones that are like us. So all the evangelists in one church, all the, all the prophets in another, all, all, the, all the teachers or intercessors in another church. So we tend to gravitate toward people who are like us, or, or maybe all the same ethnicity in one church. This is not how the Lord designed it. And then it could be, especially this happens with youth groups, all the youth gravitate toward one another. Good to have good relationships, but you know the youth would benefit more to have relationships with the older men and women who love the Lord and to be in a, in a diverse family environment rather than a clique of their own ages and everybody thinks the same so it's good that we have diversity diversity of uh, culture a diversity of age it's part of being the body of Christ but again our human tendency is to birds of the same feather flock together right that's our human tendency God has a greater vision for his people than all of us looking the same And so he creates a, a diverse, a diverse people, a diverse people. And so here our vision is Jesus is at, at our center and then our church, our people surrounding Jesus, but not our church is the idol, but it is surrounding Jesus. It's surrounding the throne. We are here to worship we're here to glorify him. And we are not afraid of the diversity because we know the diversity is good for our growth. It's good for our growth. Now, I'm not saying it's not good to have people who, I don't have many American friends here, but you know, what if I said, you know, I, I feel a little uncomfortable with all this uh, cultural diversity. I'm just gonna go to an American church. 
<laughs> and find an American church. Well, you know, it would cater to my flesh, but it would not cause me to grow. It wouldn't. Yeah, you would miss out. <laughs> Thank you, Donna. Thank you. And this is one of the things that helped me as Gideon was growing, growing up in the church. He didn't have many his age, but the Lord said this is healthy because he's in, in an environment where people are diverse. Of course, he knows people his age in school. But to be in, in, in a church environment, a family where there's diversity, so important, so good, and reflects God's character and nature. Are you with me? And that, that's what God does in marriage. He has Adam and Eve. They are quite diverse, male and female. But he says, okay, you guys are diverse, but I'm putting you guys together. <laughs> There's a great temptation for us to all be the same, to gravitate toward people who are like us. And our gravitation should be toward Jesus and the people he puts in our lives. And it's always going to stretch us. It's always going to stretch us. There's a great temptation for us to all be the same. But this is not what God designed for his house. What is Jesus building? Jesus is building a church that is a house of prayer for all nations. So the Jews were tempted to be ethnocentric. It's just them. And uh, the place where the Gentiles were meant to be, in the, uh, to, were, were the place where the Gentiles could worship, they just made it into a market. And Jesus drove out the money changers, and he cast a vision for his church that is meant to be a house of prayer. It's called to be a house of prayer for all nations. All nations. So God is about all nations. And all colors, colors here, I'm not thinking about colors of skin. I'm thinking about our souls, but all nations. Matthew 21, 13 and Matthew 16, 18. That's the church that he is building. In other words, Jesus is looking for a colorful bride that shines his light. It's a colorful bride that shines his light. And we know that light has every color in it. And there could be billions of colors, even more. As they study and the more science learns, the more amazing the universe is. Oh, here is my bride. <laughs> So this was yesterday, Anna and I, we had some time to hang out, and uh, we went to a play the night before, and so I took this photo. I love my bride, and some of my, all my, some of my favorite time is just spending time together with her. So that's us together. Now, how is it possible for us to be radiant? We're coming to a, a close here very soon. How is it possible for us to be radiant? Well, I came across this verse this week. They looked to him and were radiant, and their faces will never be ashamed. Psalm 34, 5. 
Again, this is that vision. They looked to him and were radiant. It's because now they're reflecting his light. They're taking in his light. They're taking in the light into their pupils. They're taking in that light. They looked at him and were radiant, and their faces will never be ashamed. Lastly, one of the amazing parts of the eye is the eyelid. So we're looking at the different parts of the eye. We haven't looked at everything in this message. We will continue next week. But one of the amazing parts of the eye is the eyelid. Do you know how many times you blink? <laughs> well, it's about 15 to 20 times per minute. Wow. And it's 19,200 times a day. So 19,200 times a day you are blinking. And God has made this ingenious design of the eye that we continually blink. And do you know what blinking does? Some of you will know. Right? What does blinking do? Yeah, it cleans your eyes. It cleans your eyes. And it helps keep them moist and from going dry because it spreads tears over your eyes. So what's the purpose of blinking? Blinking cleanses and refreshes your eyes. It keeps your eyes from drying out and brushes away irritants like dust and dirt particles. So God has designed it, and we do it naturally, that we're constantly cleaning our eyes of all the dust and dirt particles that are out there. So blinking cleanses and refreshes your eyes. It's like a, a, a mini rest, a mini break. <laughs> So blinking cleanses and refreshes your eyes. It keeps your eyes from drying out and brushes away irritants like dust and dirt particles. Here is a young woman blinking, eyes closed. It's the little things that damage our vision. The little dust, the little specks that get into our eye. And as we read in the Song of Songs, the little foxes spoil the vine. And it's those little things we need to watch out for. And spiritually, we need to be washing our eyes continually. Because there's a lot of things that are going to come to try to get our vision blurry, to cause our vision to be blurry and not see Jesus in focus or get us distracted. Well, next semester, we're excited. We're coming to our last class this Monday. And then next semester, we're excited to be studying the Song of Songs, as well as the prophets, but mainly focusing on the Song of Songs. And one of the things it says is the little foxes spoil the vine. We'll talk about that more in a couple months. Spiritually, we need to keep washing our eyes so we don't lose focus of Jesus and become dry in our devotion to him. So sometimes our eyes get dry. We get dry in our devotion to him, and the Lord wants us to be fresh. Fresh in our devotion to him. And this is where forgiveness comes in. Forgiveness toward one another, often through tears, is one of the ways we wash our eyes, cleaning out the dust, the forgiveness. And so if we're going to be a people who walk together... You need, constant, you need to constantly exercise forgiveness. 
is one of the ways we wash our eyes, cleaning out the dust. And often it's through tears, because the pain is real, but the Lord wants us to let go of the pain because he has let go of the pain we caused him, and he has forgiven us. That's an important part of the Sermon on the Mount, too, forgiveness. Eyelids also enable us to rest so that our eyes don't get tired and lose focus. So I, if I don't get enough rest, and I'm sure it's the same with you, you wake up, even if I put my glasses on, my eyes are still blurry. You need the rest to keep focus, and, and we need to rest in the Lord so that we don't look, lose focus of Jesus and get tired. And that's one of the things we've been building into our church is times of rest, times of rest, so that we can make it the distance and realize that we don't try to burn, burn out because we're here for the long term. Stopping and resting are necessary to follow Jesus. So stopping and resting. Not stopping from spending time with God <laughs> and resting as laziness, but actual coming to Him. This is what we're doing this morning. We're stopping and resting. We're coming to a place. We're sitting down. We're resting. We're receiving. We're in this place of stopping and resting, and it's necessary for us to follow Jesus. But this is not all of our lives. We want to take, we stop and rest now so that we can take Jesus with us into the world. So the conclusion, conclusion is this. First, our vision is Jesus. And second, our vision is to be a people like Jesus. And next week we will develop our God-given vision more. Now we're going to end with one last thing, and it's a song. Can you guess what it is? <laughs> Father, I pray that you minister to us through this song and that you would be our vision and that you'd inspire our hearts Father, that's our prayer, that Jesus would be our vision and that you would cleanse our eyes this morning, wash our eyes, where we have got our eyes on the, the winds and the waves. We want to turn them again to you and look to you because you're the miraculous one and you've called us to a life 
of walking on the water and walking over the storm and through the storm. Father, cause us to remember what our vision is. Be the one who is on the throne of our hearts. And we look to you, Lord, and we know that when we look to you, we are radiant. I'm asking a blessing on this church and the vision you have given us, that you would be exalted, Jesus, that you would be the center of attention, that you would be center stage. Be magnified, Lord Jesus, and let your people shine forth radiant as we fix our eyes on you. Father, I'm praying for grace to be poured upon all your people. I lift up each one that's at home, Daniel and Diane, Donna, Joy, Missy, Grace, Ben and his family, Kat, Sandra, and Joshua. And I lift them all up to you, Father, that you would pour your spirit upon them. And that this week we would live miraculously. And by, by looking to you, you would be our provider, Lord. And we would live as if you're the provider, because you are. Thank you, Jesus. We bless you. We praise you. We magnify you this morning. Let our hearts be at rest and peace in you. In Jesus' name. Amen.